Life from the Well is sponsored by Scratch Distillery. Located in Edmonds, Washington, Scratch Distillery crafts delicious spirits from scratch. Every batch is made by hand from local, non-GMO organic grains. Head on over to Edmonds and taste the natural delicious flavors yourself. Welcome to Life from the Well. We're here to share our perspectives with stories from the service industry. I'm your bartender, Joey. And I'm your barback, Peter. I'll keep the ice full. This episode from Life from the Well is served handcrafted by Barfly Mixology Gear, a line of essential tools for mixologists. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Life from the Well, where the drinks are strong and the stories are swell. We have an awesome episode for you all today. We are on location at Scratch Distillery. We have the owners. We have Kim and Brian here. Thank you guys so much for letting us into your home, so to speak, uh, and inviting us in and being a part of this uh, the show. And we have our plant engineer and distiller right here, Ben. Thank you for being a part of the show. Hey, too. glad to. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Welcome to the show. This is super fun to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. It's yeah. be fun. We're super excited to do this. So, Cool. Well, uh, let's jump off the way we always jump off. We start with a little shot because that's how we say hi. So, cheers. Say hello. And salute. Salute. Cheers, guys. Prost. Salute. Wet the whistle and loosen the tongues. <laughs> yeah, just open up the, saturate that throat. <clears> That's <throat> <Feels> good. <sighs> All right, cool. So let's get started, jump right into it. Um, in the beginning here, we always like to start off with kind of our guest resume. We start with the, you know, it's a service industry. And so what was the very beginning for, I guess we'll start with you, Kim. Um, how, what got you into food service, liquor service, you know? Insanity is my campy answer. Um, But (laughs) if I knew what I knew now, (laughs) would I have gone there? Always the ultimate question in this industry. Um, Whether it be a bar, restaurant, brewery, cidery, distillery, there's all kinds of stories along the way. And it's always more expensive than you expected it to be. And um, but a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Um, So um, I'm business background. Brian uh, has science background. So I leaned on him a lot at the beginning. been engineering background with us uh, has been with us almost since the beginning so we've kind of grown up together and fine-tuned and went from wanting three products to start with making a base vodka from scratch that's the base for two gins to now we make about 16 different products and um, make it all about the environment the 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 family of it the relationships Um, but it was just a crazy journey of used, used to brew beer at home for fun, um, then lived up at Snoqualmie Pass. We didn't even have to have a refrigerator. We just put it out in the garage um, yeah. or in the snow, literally. Um, and then uh, got really into wine for a long time, uh, we're, became a wine nerd just for fun, read every spectator, all that stuff, go to different wine regions, love that industry, thought about it for two seconds until about seven years ago. No, there's 950 in the state of Washington alone. Maybe not the best time to get in. (laughs) Distilleries, however, were, you know, just up and coming. But the kicker was um, 
Jin's always been Brian and I's favorite spirit. Um, instead of making a wine-centric trip, we went to England a couple of times while friends were living there and made it all about gin. Mm-hmm. And oh, I nice. just became fascinated. I was convinced everybody can like gin. It's just finding that right combination of botanicals for that right person. Um, but the gin, you know, gin equals love is on the wall over there about 12 feet high. There's a couple reasons for that. I'll let Brian tell that story. Is that the handoff? Is that the handoff right there? <laughs> All right. Nice segue. So, <laughs> Kim came back from Britain, I think, 2013, and was starting to investigate, you know, and that meant just reading everything she could. We got a still to then do something the legal way. Everybody has, you know, some people have cool stories about practicing ahead of time. Um, maybe even people in this room, I don't know. Um, but not, but not. Kim, she was really interested in how botanicals come through when you use a vapor infusion method. So that just meant buying a lot of vodka at the store off the shelf. And then, <laughs> and then, and they were worried about her. They didn't know what she was up to. And they saw large amounts of vodka going out the door pretty often. Uh, we had a 120, we bought 120 little containers that are maybe six ounce containers. And she would distill a single botanical into this container and so she was creating all the individual deconstructed gin botanicals and seeing what she liked better and some things were good on the front half of the distillation and then got kind of you know uh stewed on the back and so just figuring out things about how long you run a collection what type of botanicals were better of her favorites what were going together and it was you know at some point every horizontal surface in the house was covered with these things and you would no longer have people over without a huge story. You're feeling a little humble about explaining this. It started on Christmas day in the laundry room. (laughs) Then I graduated and finally got smart and got a fish pump in a bucket rather than sitting in the laundry room by myself. (laughs) Then I could at least move it to the kitchen table and be a little bit more social. You're referring, yeah, there's a part, right, when you're distilling where you have to cool down vapor. You've created vapor, and vapor has a flow through the system, and then you have to cool it into liquid before it comes out the end. So on a smaller one, you need cold water, and one option is a little aquarium pump. And um, so, yeah, she graduated to the kitchen at that point. And, uh, th- th- you know, but then once she was going through that, so this gin equals love, at one point she was... Like, there's no one gin that's going to satisfy everybody. And we had already knew, known this. We would say, for this gin, I want to do this. For that gin, I want to do that. And, uh, but this came, this became a element of our genealogy class. So she had deconstructed all these botanicals and said, well, I mean, we could guide people through picking their favorites and getting their, their own gin recipe that's going to have flavors they like and not have the flavors they don't like. And uh, really customize it. So gin equals love is kind of like people make the gin that they love too. So she knew that that was part of her business model before we got started having this additional class that people take. And we do it maybe a couple, depends on the season, two to five times a month. Nice. That's awesome. Real quick, that was uh, on campus many moons ago in exchange of a crappy beer I was drinking for a gin and tonic by my husband of 27 years. I love it. The first cocktail I ever made in my life was a gin cocktail. So it's a French 75. Nice. Cool. Yeah, Kim has an amazing palate, but she was drinking a warm Coors Light in a pop can. So I, time and a place. I got, her a, I got her a gin and tonic with little ice cubes pushing the pop can because we were on campus. And, you know, you're welcome. So 
Uh, <laughs> went on a date that we night. Went, yeah. That's all now everybody, now everybody knows the secret. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, before we go any further, I think uh, we need to do a little class. And we have, yeah, we have a ben. special. Ben's uh, going to teach us a little something. Special tasting class here. Uh, yeah, so I, I was lucky enough uh, uh, last Saturday, Kim sent me down to uh, go sit on a whiskey panel uh, down at Cedar Brook. And oh my gosh. We That's had. A, we have a fun history with Cedar Brook. Oh, great. I, I, we used to work there. Yeah. Oh, great. I so worked there for 10 years. And met my wife through. in that bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, drink great, great. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Into yeah. French 75. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made her French 75. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Dean, the bartender working mm-hmm. there now, uh, yeah. I mean, this, this place must train you guys well. I mean, like, we had some amazing cocktails. Uh, whiskey awesome. centric. Everything was about the, the whiskey uh, mm-hmm. when we were there. Awesome. And uh, cool. uh, there's this. Uh, uh, p- perhaps one of the world's best whiskey evaluators uh, was was coming through town on her way down to San Francisco to go evaluate at uh, ADI. And uh, Pete set up a little uh, tasting uh, private event uh, for about 25, 30 people and had some whiskey producers come down. So um, Yulia Nurne uh, is her name. She's from Germany. Uh, we sat on the, uh, this whiskey panel. We got a chance to talk, talk whiskey nerd uh, for for a couple of hours with her. But awesome. she was showing us a really fun way to have a pairing of whiskey and chocolate. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at the end of the, as we, as we all know, right, everyone's palate is their own. Mm-hmm. Every whiskey is going to perform differently in everyone's palate. And of course, every, every, every bit of chocolate is going to perform different on everyone's palate. So you're going to have to figure out which chocolate goes best with your whiskey. Uh, That's a real... Uh... It's an arduous task, you know, finding your favorite chocolate to pair with your favorite whiskey. Yeah, one that I think a a lot of us are willing to undertake. Yeah, I mean, gargantuan task. If you must. I feel feel like I'm up to it. I'm I'm up to it, too. So I'm lucky enough. I get to work in Mexico uh, quite a bit, so I brought a little bit of um, vanilla chocolate Mm. um, up from Mexico. And then just as a comparison, we have a a semi-sweet uh, chocolate bits um, uh, that we'll use here in the distillery uh, with some of our cocktail creations as well. So this is the tasting that the way um, Julia brought us through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you guys see we have some of uh, Scratch's whiskey in a glass right there. Uh, don't drink all of it at once. You'll want to drink, take a small sip in your mouth and swish it for about 10 to 15 seconds. When you're done, swallow. You're gonna notice that your mouth just continues to salivate. Right? I notice I still get quite a bit of oak finish there. Nice. A couple That's of those nice. caramel notes. But you're continuing to salivate, salivate, and you continue to swallow that salivation. Right? We just cleared off all the fats uh, from our mouth, any food we had left over, just really in preparation um, for, the, for the whiskey sip. So I'm gonna grab a little piece of the vanilla chocolate I would encourage you to try whichever chocolate that you want. Just needs a little piece, about the size that Kim's grabbing. Just a little one there. You're going to chew that in your between your front teeth and keep it only in the very, very front part of your mouth. Chew it, chew it, chew it. Get it soft. Keep it there. Once it's soft and liquidy, take a sip of whiskey through the chocolate. Let it swirl once or twice. Fall across your palate and swallow. I think it goes cherry. 
it goes from this very oaky to me then it had with the vanilla one it goes to this almost dark chocolate cherry note mm. yeah yeah that's really nice oh, the sugar that was amazing and it really it, it brings out a lot of the barrel um for me i get a lot more of the barrel vanilla the, um, uh, some of the barrel oak uh, as well that was awesome now just like a neat little way to have a pairing of whiskey and chocolate yeah but you might you have can do to that do like here. seven of them and try some white chocolate, some dark mm-hmm. chocolate. Try some nougat, try some truffle. Yeah. Ooh. Make sure we do the same seven That's chocolates with every whiskey that you want to work through as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a fun afternoon. <laughs> it was. It was, yeah. So that was uh, brought to us uh, from Yulia Nurnay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Yulia. Whiskey extraordinaire. Thank you, Julia. Julia? Thanks, Julia. Julia. I said Julia for a second. I was thinking of Julia. She's Julia. German. Yeah. So uh, Julia in... German would be Julia. Okay. Forgive me, takes forgive me, me Julia, if I'm completely incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for butchering. Wow. Would you like Shout to know a little Julia. bit about the whiskey that you just Yeah, drank? tell me about the whiskey, because I was, um, I mean, that first sip was very delightful, and then everything else after was good, but that's a nice whiskey. So this yeah. is uh, Edmund's own whiskey. So mm-hmm. named it that because uh, there's different styles and methodologies of where you age, what you age it in, all that. So there's some distilleries that make a scotch style of American single malt that age it on the coast. Westland is a perfect example. They do a wonderful job. They're trying to be very scotch-like. So Aberdeen, Hoquiam, that area is very cool, moist most of the year. It's very similar to Scotland. Opposite extreme, Woodenville Whiskey ages. There's an eastern Washington where they want the extraction in and out of the oak because the extreme temperature differences where everything's done here. So everything's on premise here, made here, aged here. We have a maritime climate. We are right on the water and the Puget Sound. So you know, a little bit of terroir just from, you know, the changes of the season, how much moisture, how much, you know, you're going to go in and out of the oak. So, um, but the green bill itself is 45% spelt. We've got some millet, some soft white winter wheat, and some malted barley in there. So a four grain mash bill, I basically just wanted to create something that was totally different, not trying to imitate a, a bourbon, a scotch style, just do our own thing. I love that. Um, I love that a lot. <laughs> wanted to use some local organic grains that are a little more uncommon, a little softer on the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. So I honestly never, I was going to say never grew up a whiskey fan, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I uh, wanted to have something that didn't have that burn that I think you find in, yeah. in some whiskeys. And so that was um, the grain bill that I chose, but also um, when we distill it, we don't distill it longer into the process where you're taking some of these other higher boiling point alcohols that need more time to soften in the barrel that and if it doesn't then it's going to have that bite um so anyways edmund's own is uh it's wonderful it's been a great uh, uh addition to the clear spirits that i thought was the only thing that we were going to make so um it's so much so that it sells out before it's out of barrel between yeah, our spirits club and uh, buying futures whiskey. on it. People can buy futures online until they're go- until it's gone. Next one's end of March and is almost gone already, but there's still some. <laughs> so, anyways, so that's our version. That's a that's a great story. I love I love um, just the the concept of trying to make something that's n- native or indigenous. You know, you know, I feel like early on there were a lot of people shooting to make a bourbon in our wet climate and, and it just wasn't I don't know it was just a few years ago I feel like when we started seeing a lot of spirits grow, come from Washington and you know, it's, it's just fun to see kind of the, the culture selling into itself and really kind of just 
making a name for itself and you know doing what you guys do here rather than following a, a different um, different trends. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the farm to table thought yeah. and concept that I, I love that you find in food and people in this area are very committed in their food, but they don't always think about it for spirits or beer or any of that, anything liquid. Well, Why is it any different? You know? That helps with the bartenders who want to make those food, like farm to table cocktails too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, you know, spirits that we can get locally that are made locally just... Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense and they taste so good too because it's that whole grow together, go together, you know, the flavors just complement each other. I think it's good support for the farmers in Skagit too. I mean, they're taking chances doing less common grains, you know, and we do have a pretty good environment with the bakeries and all that for them, but it's just a, you know, take advantage of them exploring less common grain um, that they can offer you. And they're doing a lot of these things organic and, you know, we don't think organic, we don't put it on our label, we're not going through certification, but this is how we shop for home. Yeah. And so this is how we shop when we, you know, for the for the products that we get from Skagit. And we're just trying to support their behavior. We think that they're taking some risks when they do that, right? If they if they don't sell it all as an organic product at a certain price and they sell it as a non-organic and they take a bath and they won't keep doing it because yeah. they got to pay for certification up front. They, they take some risks to try to be creative and do, do these things. So... Um, we just like supporting them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's awesome that, you know, we have a, a homegrown kind of establishment and, you know, you're supporting the local community, you're supporting the local uh, farmers and agriculture. And so it's just like, you know, we're building a better community. And I just, I love that. I love hearing stories like that and, you know, supporting you guys and you guys are supporting the farmers and it's just, you know, it comes full circle. They all lift really each other awesome. up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good shit. <laughs> <laughs> kind of old school style. Yeah. yeah. No, it's community, you know. It's us, everybody kind of, you know. As I get older, up. it means more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm that too, totally. That's why we're doing the podcast. We bring right. some big community. Supporting our stuff. local community and yeah. trying to get, you know. Bring everyone together. Yeah. <clears throat> In one way or another, you know. <laughs> Um, well, cool. I think like all this spirits talk is gives us a good segue into our cocktail. Um, and I know there's a Seattle cocktail week coming up. All restaurants and, and around, everybody's getting excited and creating cocktails. And it's my understanding that you have a cocktail here. Yeah, we're going to make the Fremont Troll for you. That's awesome. Based uh, off of one of our two Akavits that uh, we have quite a Scandinavian population. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say it's based off of my brother, but you know, that, okay. <laughs> um, Is he troll like? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, Brian. He lives in Fremont. <laughs> exactly. He's so rude. <laughs> he is a little troll like. Uh, actually, my brother's more of the Sasquatch. Well, you're like the giant, and he's the troll. Yeah, you're Sasquatch. Is he the Sasquatch everybody's seen on those cameras up in Snow Pine? I, I really think so. He's, he <laughs> went up to Roslyn the other day, so he's probably the He's so probably going to see him again on a ski lift camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is there a history to the to the Fremont Troll, or is it, is it kind of just a fun creation that we've come up with? It's just a fun creation. We just thought the, the name for it was kind of, you know, we we have two different Akavits, a potato base, um, one that's more traditional, which is caraway and dill, mm-hmm. but we don't make potato vodka 
uh, the base for the that Akavit is often seen. Um, soft white winter wheat is the basis for almost all the rest of our spirits, so we make wheat more often. So this one we call Wakavit, as in standing for Washington wheat, Wakavit. Okay. Um, so it has caraway dill, cardamom, and orange peel, so it's both citrusy and savory. Um, both of them are aged in barrel, 8 to 10 months, depends on which barrel and how it's coming along. But uh, So more approachable Akavit than some of that some people have had out there don't be afraid of it um sure. so in this particular cocktail is half of that the wheat base vodka that it comes from and so say one ounce one ounce three quarters ounce fresh lemon juice and then three quarters ounce fresh simple syrup make your own simple syrup please people it makes a world of difference in fresh lemons you know even though you get the the jars in the store that say it's just lemon juice it just isn't the same yeah, um that's so true, 100% true. Well, when you press your own lemons you get some of the oil from the peel in there too and that adds like yeah that, that yeah a little extra so. yeah so pretty, pretty that's easy. a great tip i kind of forgot about that i think i knew it at one point yeah, it just it gives it it makes it a more complete taste because it adds a little bit of a bitterness to the to the tartness and, and it covers your tongue more, I guess, with all the balance and flavors. Yeah, so you can uh, either shake it, serve it up in a coupe glass with a little orange peel, lemon peel, or uh, in the summer if you want to make it a little lighter, put it on the rocks with the same garnish kind of thing. So I can go make one for all of yeah. us. I've That's got great. a I've got a nerd Akavit story. Yeah, mm-hmm. please. And this allows me to incorporate some kudos to Ben too. So um, there's so many products, you know, you made a bunch of vodkas, you made three gins. Somebody walks in and says, they, they haven't even looked at what you make. But that, you know, they're like, if you, you guys make about Akavit, you should make an Akavit. Like, I'm not making Akavit, look at all these things. Yeah, we ended up making Akavit. <laughs> I said the same thing with whiskey, I think. I said the same thing with apple brandy, which Ben made an incredible apple brandy. It's very tasty. Um, so all these all these things that I say no to, we ultimately do. But um, so I can't be trusted. <laughs> but uh, we didn't know we were making an Akavi. So here's what happens when you are making your spirit, when you're making your vodka. Let's say so. In this case, it was our potato vodka. There's parts of the alcohol that come out before the ethanol out of the still, and then there's the ethanol, and then there's some more alcohol types that you don't want. We call those the ones that come out at the beginning, the heads, the ethanols, the hearts, and the next category that's not ethanol but higher boiling point is tails. The early tails still taste kind of good, but they're not good enough to be the vodka. And usually you, you collect them and you put them in the still on a later still run and you try to get a little bit more because there's ethanol trapped in that part too. And you're like, well, well, we'll help our yield if we grab a little bit more. That's what most people do. And um, Kim and Ben had decided to, like, that's pretty good. Like, we're gonna we're gonna really just do that. And so they put some of it. And help me out if I make a mistake here, but it, that's this is how I recall it. So um, they put it in an eight gallon barrel. We had a bunch of eight gallon barrels in the early phase. We didn't have our own whiskey yet, so we had bought a bunch of things from Woodville Whiskey that were eight barrels back when they had that. And we put tails, early tails, in that barrel. So tails develop like a whiskey. And we didn't have a lot of them, so you don't need to develop for years. And then we forgot about it. I think Ben or Kim wrote Frankenstein on the side of the barrel. That <laughs> was Ben. And actually, you know, I, I think that was uh, Aaron actually wrote Frankenstein. On the side oh, really? Of the yeah, yeah, that's great. Aaron, Aaron, uh, thank you, Aaron. 
Um, Aaron's still with us too. He was another one of Kim's strays that like we started working <laughs> with early on. So anyways, 10, 10 11 months later, they're like, oh, what's this? Oh, yeah. Shit, I forgot about that. And um, like, ooh, that, that did develop. It got really creamy. It's got a nice viscosity. And um, Kim had been reading about her Finnish heritage and only for that reason, I think, thought about some, some came across something about Akavit and thought about it. So our first Akavit was called Underground Akavit because we were, it was a prototype. We didn't have an official label for it yet. And we had a club members that could try it. And, um, so Underground Akavit was our potato-based Akavit, very traditional. Although, you know, Akavit doesn't have to be in a barrel, but ours was, which makes it better. <laughs> and then after Sounds a while, some somebody, we Ben or... Kim or me, or now I have to include Aaron, damn, um, uh, said, you know, we make a lot more wheat vodka than we do potato vodka. Why are we not taking the early tales of the wheat? So that's what led to our Wakavit, Washington Wheat Wakavit. That one was me at the end of 18 hours. Usually I'm not very creative at the end of that 18-hour day, but that day I was like, wait a minute. Why are we not doing it from wheat? Can we do it from wheat? Go to the federal regulations because everything has to have recipe approval, label approval. What is the categories? No definition doesn't say what, at least in the U.S., what it has to be from. So, fine. Okay, Ben, what are we going to do? What are we going to tweak? What flavors do we want to introduce? And there you go. And I'd kind of pulled off a, uh, a partial barrel of the potato aquavit like six to eight months before because I wanted to try the orange peel and cardamom um, infusion. Yeah. Which became our recipe Which for the wakabi. The, the yeah, wakabi. We had, and we had a little cinnamon in there and decided it was a little too much, so we took the cinnamon out. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yes, yeah, so we got our traditional wakabi and our fancy. <laughs> fancy. That's awesome. Was it cocktail time? It's cocktail time. It's cocktail time. This episode from Life from the Well is fueled by the great beer from Iron Horse Brewery. Don't forget, if you want to know how to make the cocktail, head on over to our YouTube channel, Life from the Well, and watch Kim make the Fremont Troll. And just a reminder, if you want to get your name out there, or become a sponsor, go to our website and send us an email. Let me say welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're sitting here sipping on this drink. This is our tasting note portion, and so... It's delicious. Thank you. I shouldn't have just drank a beer. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're drinking the Fremont Troll. It is an aquavit vodka-based cocktail, um, but it tastes like a creamsicle. It's so yummy. And Dangerously delicious. easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's really, really, I mean, it's four ingredients, and it comes off with something so yummy. That's a uh, nice job. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Cheers. Cheers. Here <laughs> that's how. That's why we can't have nice things, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Yeah, that is so good. Mine's gone already. Yeah. Oh, is that <laughs> another one? <laughs> oh, yours is gone already. She's like done. Yeah, yeah, that's how good it it's is. Not a, it's not a shot, Kim. Mm. <laughs> that could be. That's damn good, though. They're Holy little cow. coupe classes because when you can only serve two ounces in the tasting yeah. room, we do one ounce of booze, you know, usually. So I don't know how people sit here and nurse them for as long as they do. Sometimes <laughs> maybe that oh, says something about me. <laughs> Probably because that's the only drink that they can get while they're here, and they just want to <laughs> stay here and enjoy it. Yeah. And you know, if this was at a, a restaurant or a bar, I mean, damn, 
That's the bar fly way too. A bar fly will, you know, a lot of times they come for the environment of the bar, you know, and yeah. or we don't want the regulars. And the other guy will order a shot of tequila and he'll sit there for three hours. <laughs> just nursing the same shot? Yeah, he'll have like a sip on and then it'll sit there and he'll just sit and talk to every single person that sits down around him and just enjoy, enjoys the, you know, the social aspect of the environment. Yeah. Uh, so I, you guys have been around the industry for, I mean, how, how long has this establishment been here? How long have you guys been in this location? Uh, first location, only location, and we've been open for about four and a half years, just a little over four and a half years. We started making things in April 15. Nice. Open the door is July. So in that whole time, has anything crazy happened in here, like maybe with uh, the process and making and distilling your products, or even with the patrons that come in here has anything like dramatic happened or funny i mean obviously you have some fun stories because you have little lost kittens like ben who come in here and now you can't get rid of them so he's gone from feral cat to house cat (laughs) that is a very good analogy (laughs) a very useful house cat the uh most of the stories are uh not necessarily fun stories um starting up something like this you know there's money involved costs involved that kind of thing we the good thing is is that being limited to two ounces per person per day we don't have a lot of the stories like a lot of bars do that have to kick people out and have some i heard some of your other podcasts there's some very interesting (laughs) stories out there luckily i haven't had to experience somebody demolishing the bathroom like that but you know <laughs> so <laughs> but, Scotty so um, but yeah for us there's some uh, significant things along the way that no matter how much due diligence you think you do as far as trying to get an idea of how much this crazy thing is going to cost and how I'm going to build it out what I'm going to do um, let's just say we have a double down date and a triple down date in the calendar as far as uh, what what we were going to do to get the doors open and surprises we had along the way on build out as far as the floors being basically just air underneath them as opposed to soil anymore. So the floors had to be ripped out underneath all the equipment to be super reinforced before we could. Because of all the weight because of all the, the product. Of all that you're... The, yep. All the tanks. There's yeah. So there's lots of those kind of not fun stories. Um, but. Uh, well, okay. So. Us being here at Scratch Distillery, you guys are not a bar. You're not a restaurant. You are a distillery with a tasting room. So why only two ounces? I believe, I wasn't there at the time, but when somebody was approaching the legislature to say, hey, I think that we could help create these craft distilleries if we give them the benefit of having a tasting room to then showcase their wares to individuals because otherwise they cannot compete with the large players. That's the only way that they might be able to compete. But then there's somebody in, you know, in the legislature that says, Hey, that sounds like another bar. We already have bars. We don't need any more bars. So you, you do funny when you, when you see something that doesn't make sense as a regulation for something, it's probably because they had to make that negotiation to, to make it legit and bring it to, you know, to the world. So somebody said, Hey, here's how we will not make tasting rooms bars. They can only serve products that they made. They can't use Angostura bitters. They can't use a splash of vermouth. If they didn't make those things, 
because they're show they're supposed to be showcasing what they've created. And then slowly over time, it went from here's just the straight spirit. There was a period where we could not serve it cold or with an ice cube, which is just like punitive. Like, we don't want people to like your product when they taste it in the tasting room. <laughs> and to do the opposite of what it's supposed to do and not get them lit. <laughs> so, then, so then we actually had to go to the legislature to say, yeah, it's okay to adorn the spirits with something to put it put water and ice cube that adds something. Um, and then it, it got to the point where, yes, you can make cocktails, but we still have this two ounce per person per day limit, which was the way of one way of differentiating that we are not just another bar. Mm-hmm. That's um, I feel like that's really similar to uh, like Jack, Jack Daniels had that for years. I think you can actually finally drink on the premise now, but you couldn't even taste Jack Daniels at the distillery where they make it. You'd have to dry buy county. a bottle and leave. Yeah. yeah, because it was in a dry county. Fortunately, I guess it's not that bad, but God, it's not that far off, is it? It's not. You know, and this happens elsewhere in the world. Somebody just told me about being in a tasting and tour in Sweden, I think. And they actually had a, like an Akavit that they could custom make, kind of like our gin class. And, but they had to then go to the state. They could pick it up at the state uh, liquor store, Mm -hmm. like some period of time later, because they they couldn't pick it up right in the tasting room. So, you know. There's clunky, there's clunky alcohol laws all over the world. I mean, <clears throat> being a big fan of, of wine and spirits, but like wine in particular right now, it's like, yeah, you go to the tasting room and that's all they have are, is wine. But then with spirits, it's like, it's one thing to taste the spirit, but the spirit is typically supposed to be accompanied by other things. And then you make this extravagant, beautiful uh, cocktail like what Kim made us. Um. So, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous that the legislation was like, no, you can't even put an ice cube in there. You can't shake it. It can't be chilled. It's just, you know, blah. Right. They were. <laughs> it was a little bit neat, but not so overt. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, you know, we, tr- we try to look on the on the good side. We have a right. We can't have food to this point that may change here. And we have a bill in the legislature this winter that we think has a good chance of success that will change some of this. But at the moment, we can't serve food. It's not, yeah. do you want to serve food? It's you can't serve food. That means we can have dogs. Cool. You do have this limit. It's weird, but you have this limit. Oh, you can have children. So there's like no other license type where you can do those two things. It's really odd. Dogs and kids are welcome. We are full family friendly. That's the positive. Hey, there you go. And people utilize that. Spin it that way. Sell it. Yeah. Well, I remember reading an article about uh, a bill that's supposed to help small distilleries, and you guys were mentioned in it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that bill and what is going on with that and how it's affecting you? So there is uh, the, the impending doom that happened that was happening in December um, was a national level um, tax where we've been um, we had been on a two year reprieve 
to give us a reduced amount of text to put us on equal playing fields with every winery, cidery, um, brewery. Um, we were text up till two years ago um, five times as much on the federal level. Um, so in addition to our crazy Washington, Texas. So yeah. um, so in Washington, the, the sad part is between those two layers, we've lost in the last year a lot of distilleries. I mean, we used to lead the country and we are fastly falling behind um, because people are closing down because of these limitations in these taxes. So in December, we um, we were working hard to make this temporary two-year um, reprieve permanent. We couldn't get it through legislation because there's all kinds of things going on in government right now, unfortunately, that are not allowing anything to real to happen. So we luckily were at least able to attach it to a budget bill that did get signed in the last minutes before the end of the year. So it gave us a one year extension again. So we have lived to fight another day to try and get that made permanent because the reality is that extra um, tax reprieve allowed me to have my first full time employee that has full benefits, um, right. other staff, other We've ramped up our whiskey production. Um, if that goes back up, that's going to go away. I mean, there's just only so much room that we have there. It's, it's a tough industry. And so, um, yeah, so that's what that was all about. So, yeah, in our state legislature, uh, sta- I'm sorry, ours, our representatives at the federal level, um, senators and, and our representatives were supportive of this uh, this bill to change our excise tax to the the le- same percentage as other right beer and wine. So when we say that we have a higher amount, somebody might, if they didn't understand some of the details, say, oh, well, that's because you have a higher alcohol concentration. No. Based on the proof gallon, which is this equation you do to figure out how to make it all even between 5% alcohol products, 10%, 40%, and you pay on the percentage of that. Uh, you can you can make that equal. So even with that, we were doing five times as much. And then we've had this reprieve. And then because there were no bills going through, um, and we, but we did have so much support at the federal level, a lot of sponsors, like the majority of people in both houses were sponsors. They just tacked it onto the budget bill. And so it's, we kick it down the road for a year. And we'll just have to you know, work on it again. And, and I, it seems like we have enough support that it should happen. It didn't seem to hurt the, their concern why they did it for two years was that, will this hurt our taxes that we get from that without anything productive for the small places? Well, what happened was that they did improve in nation sales from all the various bigger and smaller producers in our nation, as opposed to imports. It, it changed enough that they said, hey, that was worth it. And it didn't really hurt us much on the taxes. So we think it'll get put through permanently, but we just, now we got to, we kicked the ball down the road. We have to work on it again. At the state level, we have a bill that narrow, narrowly missed last year. Um, one person got in the way because he was, he's, he's not in favor of anything that has anything to do, anything to do with a possibility of more alcohol consumption. And he's in charge of the gaming commission last year. He's no longer in charge of the gaming commission. And um, so he, even though we had favorable votes, he wouldn't hear the vote. So, but this year we have, I, I'm going to say my perspective, very reasonable people in the right places. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the purpose of this bill will be to allow these small distillery tasting rooms to try to survive a little better. Cause most of them don't have a distributor. Most of them 
are often rural. And so these are problems, right? These are things that make it hard. So if you don't have a two ounce per person per day limit and you have some limitation, but allow people to have a cocktail or two while they're hanging out. Yeah, you can establish a brand name at your brand. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, right. They want to try a tasting flight, but then they do want to see if how something tasted, how, how the, you know, the Fremont Troll tasted or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get that lifted a little bit. We have the ability to then hopefully sell 25% of the SKUs of, of spirits we make from other producers. So you think about it, if you're in Arlington, you're in Leavenworth, and you're like, I, I'm making some good stuff, but I don't have any access to anybody. Now you can you know, host other spirits and cross promote and like here you know we could say hey we've got we don't make a lot of whiskey that sits around for you to try it when you want to right it sells before we get it in the bottle so here's three different whiskeys that are our favorites in the state some friends of ours from down the road people come in and say i really just wanted whiskeys oh okay so you know i think it'll be a favorable thing also to allow us to have an, an off right now we can only have a taste room where we produce It'll allow us to have an, an additional an taste room, and you could partner with other places like wineries do. So we're just trying to get a little parity with what seems to work for the wine industry when they're ready to grow a little. That makes a lot of Anyways, sense. Anyways, there it is. No, that I, I really appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. And there's another, uh, I guess, small but good. um another washington state uh distillery uh what is it blue spirits uh they have a distillery i I will have it they have a tasting room but over in leavenworth but the tasting room actually has uh stills in there so that's where they get the they they find the little loophole in the law so they actually do make spirits there and that's why they can have a tasting room that's right. That is a that is a loophole yeah. that uh, some people have been smart about doing. You know, Heritage Distilling had done that with. Um, they said, "Hey, we'll just get another distilling plant permit where we want to put our ta- figure out where we want to put our taste room, and then get a distilling plant permit." And they're organized and smart about how you know to be able to do that and say, "Hey, we don't make a lot here, but we make a thing here, and then we can sell all of our products that yeah. we make at our bigger place." And if we didn't make everything from scratch have our own mash fermentation that would be more viable for us if we were just blending buying bulk alcohol and maybe even putting it through a small little still to even clean it up it would just be a different thing for us to do what we do here and create a second whole establishment is a huge capital investment so if we could at least just have a tasting room that we go in on with somebody especially with something unique like our genealogy class um, if we could have a place, we've talked to with people at, say, like Holland America, that, I mean, how wonderful would that be for a pre-cruise event or yeah. post-cruise event to be able to come in and have them sell that kind of thing? I mean, we're right down there in Seattle. Um, we're in Edmonds, which isn't that far, and you don't need a parka and you don't need a passport. We always tell people. Um, but it's not that far, but it's far enough that a lot of places don't. It makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. There's, you know, we do have a little bit of traffic around here. So, you know, it's a little bit of impediment. So it'd give us some of those opportunities as well. Where do you guys see Scratch going in the future? That's a good question. I wish I had the answer to that crystal ball perfectly. But 
um, in the in the meantime, you know, along the road, uh, you know, my original theory of three spirits genealogy class rent the space out for events because, like you said, it is a we built it out to be a beautiful venue. People rent it out for birthday parties, anniversaries, whatever. Um, that was the concept. Like I said, now we make a lot of different things. And part of it was, again, turning it around and saying, okay, we didn't have a distributor till about a year and a half ago. And part of that was hard because making it from scratch, doing it the way we do, we're not going to be the cheapest guy on the block. There's just no way. Not the way. It's seven times more expensive to make it the way that we do than it, if I just bought bulk alcohol and, mm-hmm. and did the infusion part of it or just bought bulk you know, uh, whiskey even, and just put it in barrel and aged it myself. So it was hard to find a distributor that was uh, supportive, that could feel like they could sell us and understand us. And so we just realized a few years into it, we're like, okay, we are going to um, make it about the tasting room. And so I always knew we wanted a spirits club. I worked in the wine industry for a couple of years. Um, I love that concept. Used to be of lots of wine clubs not anymore because <laughs> the money's all going here yeah. <laughs> but, uh, wine clubs are a little expensive. yeah so so we have a spirits club and so part of doing all these different items also is about the creativity that we have a hard time uh curbing ourselves sometimes and trying to produce that many different things is always challenging but at the same time that's what keeps people coming back and um, they get variety in their quarterly allotment of a few bottles and you know we have a default of what it's going to be but they can totally customize it when they come in to pick them up and switch all three out to something different whatever it is that they want to do and so it's user friendly but again it's about the community it's about the relationships and and that's growing um at this point that's uh, you know we're focusing a little bit more on that and uh and making it about the area at some point we're gonna have to go beyond that but it's a you know baby steps my response pretty similar pretty similar so you know we right we started out like she said as you are getting part way through the last four and a half years you get to a point where you kind of want to revisit who you are what you're doing and um you recognize like okay so we can either make more and more and more of just like a couple things and be in the production area and just get more efficient more efficient more efficient and do that only and get it as far and wide as you can or what we decided to do is recognize that we are a social business. We enjoy being in this area with the peeps and um, it, it makes, it makes it way more worth it than just sitting there monkeying with the still only. And so we decided that we are a social business that happens to sell some things and we're kind of trying to make that our priority. So when we think about what, what should we do? Is it, is it good for the clubs? Is it good for the, member the people that come in um and try to base it off of that more than what is the person um in vancouver washington think or you know but we are slowly spreading so at some point you might say oh well now like you know the money's coming from different places uh that's not how it used to be and let's how are we doing now what do we think but for now that's you know just kind of chin down and keep being small, enjoying being small, knowing everybody that that comes in, and um, you know, 
if you do that and all of a sudden it, it's like, oh, what happened? There's a, there's a different layer here. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, I have a question. So this is a service industry podcast, but I also like to think it's a learning podcast where we can, um, we, we, we give our advice to those, you know, that, that come with it, whether it's, you know, to the customers and the employees or to this or that. I think you guys have a little more of a unique perspective being as your makers, you know, you create the spirit. Um, and we're starting to reach a little bit farther too. So I wanted to get in a little bit individually, maybe a little bit basic, but like just kind of a descriptive on kind of what you guys make. So I have family in Texas. They probably have no idea. I don't want to speak for them, but what the hell Aquavit is. Um, you know, I, I, I just learned what it was a couple of years ago just because it's, you know, it's something that kind of hit us. So we've been drinking it today. We've mentioned it several times. Um, I think that's a good place to start and start with A. What, what, what is Aquavit? So Aquavit is, uh, goes back centuries to mostly the Scandinavian countries. So think of how gin is focused on juniper. Juniper is what defines a gin. Caraway is what defines an Aquavit. So it is, it doesn't have to be a neutral spirit. It can be a neutral spirit. It can be something that has a um, little bit more, um, like we, like Brian described when we make ours, it's the mostly ethanol with a little bit of the other higher boiling point alcohols aged in barrels. So it gets some more richness, layers of flavors. Um, I'd say I more Aquavits than not anymore I see that are not barrel finished, but centuries ago it tended to be a barrel finished product, um, which I think helps smooth it a little bit and make it a little bit more approachable. Um, but Caraway's the definite, the defining botanical that's infused into it. Um, dill is almost always the second highest percentage, but then you can, uh, again, a host of other things like a gin, you can usually, gin's going to be a little bit more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, Alcavites can, you know, typically be two to, I don't know, maybe eight different things as opposed to gins, you know, a lot of times have 20 some different things in it. But, um, so that's what I, and I describe the caraway as, um, it's a licorice note, but to me, it's like, think of rye bread mm-hmm. as opposed to star anise, crazy level of licorice. So it's much more approachable to me, at least in the way that we make it. We don't add star anise. A lot of places will add star anise. That's one thing I like when talking about whiskey a lot of times, I'll, I'll use the, the bread reference to, to, split, to help people understand it more with your bourbon is your corn bread, your wheat whiskey is your wheat bread, and then your rye is your rye bread, of course. Yep. And so then you kind of are getting a little bit of you know, some of those different notes. I like that. The That's what, you know, when we've got the tasting room open uh, and we've got the distilling run done and we open up the tank of the now cooked wheat mash or the now cooked potato mash, I mean, it's totally, I mean, people all smell it. Yeah. It smells it's like, like what you're talking about. Everybody yeah. comes in and says, yeah. it smells like a bakery. Like bakery. <laughs> what are you doing in here? <laughs> Making it from scratch. That's how it should smell. Yeah, that's proper. Just out of curiosity, how do you pronounce that word? Akavit, so Thank water you. of life. So aqua. Akavit. Yep. Spelled aqua. A q u a v i t. The different countries in Scandinavia do have different spellings, so it's it can be confusing if you see something that's an a k a. But I I agree. We spell it like you just right. said. But. Well, that's the that's the probably the American layman yeah. like. Let's just try and make it exactly yeah. phonetically. <laughs> yeah, where they have their, Let's dumb it down. But it is <laughs> Aka. Scandinavian, like Icelandic Viking 
the, the, yep. the K is much more prevalent in their language. Anyways, well, yeah, just a couple other true. little factoids, I think, on Akavit. So like people traditionally would just, it was special. They would pull it out of the freezer once there was that level of refrigeration. And um, they'd have it for a toast, like just one or two little toasts before a, a celebration of a birthday or a holiday. And then with the oily fish and the other... Mm. Yeah, the, the other <laughs> the Scandinavian things, things <laughs> that that happens to go with the dill and the yeah know, yeah it's it's and, part um, of the seasoning for the for the meal right yeah and That's then awesome. you put it away and you drink whatever wine or beer or whatever it so, depends on which family but, they might drink it through dinner and after dinner yeah <laughs> in the last you know <laughs> I'd say ten years what about my family <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably 10 years ago is when bartenders, oh, well, I, I actually don't know, but I, to me it feels like it was a, it was maybe a decade ago that you started to see some cool cocktails coming out of, you know, some New York bars or something that used a knock of eat, yeah. and it's just went from there. But um, I feel like I was at Cedar, might have been Cedarbrook, or we might have had one Akavit cocktail when I left there, which was like, wasn't that you and Kendall making that? 2011 or something. I, think, I, feel like, I feel like Kindle brought something in that was Aquavit. Because Kindle always had a really good um, intuition around like cocktail culture. And, and, and Pretty sure it was the two of you that came up with that. I think cocktail. he's the one that actually introduced it to me. But, uh, yeah, 2009 or 10 or so. So, yeah, it was a good 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, what new projects or anything are you guys um, getting ready to put forward? So the very next thing that's going to come out, so I'll back up for a second. In December, we released uh, our first Amaro. So usually, as I mentioned, we don't add sugar to anything. We don't add any tricks at the end, any citric acid. Everything's just very pure. Um, however, um, we decided to make it an Amaro. So it's in the liqueur category, of course, which is a huge category. So it can be anything from a super sugary liqueur to... Uh, bitter liqueur is what they call that subsect of liqueur is uh, Amaro. So um, ours is higher proof, like a chartreuse. So it's 85 proof, um, only eight botanicals. Um, it's based off of our wheat-based vodka and uh, very cocktail friendly, but also um, aperitif, digestive, um, called Amapocio. So perfect for Valentine's Day. It, because it means love potion in Esperanto. Um, so enjoy that little taste there. Um, this is our most recent release. And then, so we're starting this little side little liqueur series. So the next thing is going to be a black walnut liqueur. Um, we're calling it Wachino, kind of like our Wakavit. So it's a Washington spin on a kind of Italian idea of a Nochino. Um, but we use black walnuts as opposed to the raw green walnuts. And a little bit of the baking spices for a short amount of time after. So I just pulled um, the nuts last night after 21 days of soaking. Um, and then added a little bit of cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove to get a little bit of the biking, uh, baking spices, I call it. And then uh, we're going to infuse it with a um, coffee bean-infused organic simple syrup. So just enough sweetness, kind of like this Amaro, to offset that bitter note um, to make it not drying on the palate, not too super sugary. Um, that was the goal anyway. So those are the kind of the two, the most recent, the very next thing that'll come out hopefully by next month is that uh, Wachino. Um, and uh, so what, what is this that we have in front of us? This is the Amo Pochio Amaro. Amo Pochio Amaro. This smells 
very floral. Delicious, yeah. Very, yeah. A little citrusy, a little floral. A lot sweet. of angelica root and orris root. We wanted it to fit with gin recipes. So a lot of those I'll bittering agents. Tiny bit of gentian roots only in there for about 15 minutes. It's so extremely bitter compared to where some of the other botanicals are in there for two days. Um, Grapefruit, pink peppercorn, purple sage. It's got some viscosity that I really like. It's like sits on the palate really nicely. It soaks into the taste buds. So we wanted to, so, you know, you get Fernet Brunk on the extreme end of bitter, but also to me drying on the palate, which um, has its place and, uh, but we wanted something that was just a little bit softer that has that bitter note, but the, the sweetness just enough to offset it so that it can be, like I said, used in a cocktail or yeah. just sipped on. Yeah, it's got some like the herbal notes on the side, a little bit dry aspect to it on the side of the palate, and a little bit sage. on the back at the very mm-hmm. end, the finish. Yeah. The color is a little, it's pink, it's light pink, and that's, we have a little hibiscus and um, pink rose, rose petal. petal. Is there any thought to doing a, a fernet in the future? So we hadn't gone that extreme. We actually were thinking of the next thing, doing kind of like a orange liqueur, maybe a curacao direction. Um, these are, we just, yeah, barrel-aged version of that. Um, get a little more richness. Um Anyways, there's some other little Hawaiian-inspired liqueur. That's a, We used to go to Hawaii a lot, and so I always wanted to do a Lilikoi vodka, but doing a vapor infusion method, Lilikoi is all mushy, so I can't do that. So I could soak it, but also add some other, instead of just soaking it and making a maceration vodka, let's add some other cool Polynesian spices and floral and citrus and, you know, maybe make it again. So we're just coming up on this concept of hey maybe we're gonna have this liqueur series and literally this has all just happened in the last few months that's fun i like that that's a lot of fun uh it's a stressful world uh stressful industry there's lots of shit going on that is hard to manage sometimes um just day to day what what's some self-care stuff that we do you know that that you all take part in to kind of find balance in this life and and all this you know i mean it's trying a business distribution all that it's it's a lot you know, what blurs the balance? Peloton. Yeah. We, oh, very good things. Those bikes are rad. We went to, honestly, we went to, we used, we used to go to Hawaii all the time. Had timeshare ownership, that whole thing, sold mm-hmm. that with the, everything else with the distillery. And then a uh, year, a little, buddy, yeah, just over a year ago, we were like, okay, we need to get away in January. December is crazy. Brian's an optometrist by day, by the way. So he helps me when he's not there all the time. And so we both work insane hours, but poor guy gets pulled in two very different directions. At least I'm all just in this direction. I don't Um, do this for optometry. (laughs) There's nobody that comes in and interviews me. It's fun. It's fun that one of your jobs is clearing up blurred vision and the other job is blurring vision. Exactly. We do play that in the tasting room sometimes. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I mean, I mean, to take such an obvious joke. So is that why he was telling me to drink the head? Because <laughs> it'll make you go blind. And so. yeah. we're trying to drum up business on the other side. There you um, go. Uh, but but yeah, we decided in January is the perfect time to get away because both businesses are insane in December. Um, get through, you know, the craziness of payroll taxes. And then third week of January, we found is the perfect time. Last year we went away, went to our uh, favorite haunts and they had a Peloton bike. Mm-hmm. 
we used to we used to do all kinds of crazy activities. I mean, that's why we moved to the Northwest was the outdoors. And so we used to do triathlons, marathons, all that stuff. That all stuff has been in the wayside after we opened the distillery. So over five years, like you say, health health focus was not on the table. I mean, we went from working out every day to not at all or maybe get yoga in once a week because I needed to stretch, you know, yeah. just to, you know, just standing on the cement all the time, all that. Um, but we went to um, Maui and we went to a place and they had the Peloton bike. And so we had trainers at home. Brian gets so bored, you know, just on those things that he would have to play Xbox in order to stay on it more than five minutes. <laughs> so, so we, but he's also data, he's input, man. And so we get on these Peloton bikes as like motivation, we're coachable, trainable. They're also, uh, <laughs> so uh, all that input and the data you're looking at how you're competing with other people yourself mm-hmm. and we were both just hooked and so we get back home and i was like this is it we need to we need to get our health back yeah. and so it's been a year of of focusing got a bike and and making a commitment to getting on that stretching yoga i mean how regular are we are using the peloton now um, so we try and do something every day. That may mean yeah. some days it's five minutes of stretching, mm-hmm. but something through the program every day. And on the bike, at least usually four days a week. And yeah. that I means some days it's only 15 minutes, some days it's 45, but it's made a world of difference mentally and physically. Yeah, that's cool you said because um, my, my wife's former boss of so the co- uh, company she no longer works for, but like the CEO of her company, um, one of his daily routines his daily rituals before he started his work day he would he would get up like four o'clock in the morning it's one of those guys that's just an achiever but he would get up and he'd go to the gym for a couple hours and just every single day because otherwise he would say that like his he just he just wouldn't think straight you know he yeah. just just clear up his mind and then he's able to focus on whatever mine's not at four o'clock in the morning yeah me neither <laughs> whatsoever I, I sometimes i'm going to sleep about that time yeah. so you know that's it's, we're all on our own schedules and we all find mm-hmm. kind of what and I mean, the cool thing about the Peloton bikes are, you know, just something like that is, is it's, you know, at your house and so you can work it into your own routine, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, the app on it, so we can literally sometimes in the back, you know, back kitchen, we have a yoga mat back there and it may be rolling it out, sitting there and doing meditation for five minutes and stretching for 10, yeah. you know, just yeah. something. Kim, you know that Peloton is not a sponsor yet. Yeah, right. They should be for this right show. Now. <laughs> it's a serious, you bring it up because you know things that you, you haven't said, at least to today. Um, but that you know from being in the industry to ask that question of people. So, I mean, it, I think on your side of the of the of the uh, production and industry, and, and on our side, I, I mean, it's it's hazardous in some ways, or it can be. And um, there is the there is the offering to drink every day with what we all do, and then is the eating habit right the shift was long and uh, you know all that right yeah. you you know this i'm saying it for the person listening Absolutely. and um so you know it, it's a it's a good question that you should keep asking we we you know started we started exercising without excuses for reasons not to exercise and like it's late but i'm, I'm doing something mm-hmm. um for me, I'm just going to sound weird right now to somebody that doesn't know anything about this, but I've been meditating for a couple of years, and that has been a big difference for me on getting rid of the clutter, right? Help to clear and your brain a little bit. 
And then like the thing that we've just incorporated in the last few months for us is like, hey, you're here at the distillery at midnight. There's things to try. But you know what? Not tonight. Yeah. You have to, you, nights of no drinking. And as somebody that's not in the industry, I'd be like, well, big deal. But And I can go a long time without drinking. I don't feel like I have any problems. But it is a hazard of being in, in this industry for some folks more than others. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I mean, I... I <laughs> Sometimes now I intentionally drive to work just so those are the days that I won't go out drinking afterwards. Cause like, oh no, I drove today. I'm just gonna drive home, you know, and not drink. And it forces me to take days off <laughs> throughout the week because it's so easy. It's so easy. You know, you're in a distillery, I work in a bar, you know, we, we all have alcohol in our hands all day long, you know, and so by the end of the day, whether whether you're pouring yourself a shot or just going to the bar across the street and talking to your friend that's pouring right. drinks, you know, it's, it's people that it's support us. You're going life. to support them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, but then at some point you kind of have to think to yourself, like, all right, you know, I, I need to allow myself to do this a couple times a week, maybe. But then there needs to be another couple times a week where I'm making myself go home and make healthier decisions, yeah. especially if you want to get up and go to the gym or something in the morning. That's, that's another thing is if I'm going to the gym, I won't drink the night before. Typically, yeah. I try not to because right. that way. That way, it gives me one less excuse to not go to, or to go to the gym in the morning. Right. You know? If we're staying in this industry or any of these industries together, um, it's habits. And so, is our it's habit like, hey, I don't do that all the time just because it's right there and my buddy wants to do it? Yeah. It's so easy to fall into the routine of it. And the social aspect. I mean, it's fun. Absolutely. Everybody's there. That's where everybody's at. If only I could be, I could learn from the barfly that just smilks the one little shot. <laughs> and that's, a guy, that's a guy who's really, I think, uh, he's, he's, he's much smarter out. than us. Well, he's figuring himself out in his journey. And, and, you know, he has different impulses, obviously. But, I mean, he's, he's the barfly is, is in the bar a lot of times for the social aspect, um, you know, and the alcohol is a, a side effect. And kudos to a couple of the kudos to the couple of people that Kim was talking about and like that you see too that are like hey I just like this and I thought it was because of the drinking mostly but maybe it's just in part because of the drinking and now we now they're behind the bar not drinking enjoying the same yeah, the drinking just lets experience. your guard down and then you realize that the human connection is pretty cool once you get past you know the 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 ego and what you know what you're putting forward. <laughs> you're not looking at yourself and you're looking at someone else. It's a little bit easier. So <laughs> it's our teachable moments. So this is a part I like to dedicate every show to just kind of improving our industry. Um, what kind of wisdom would you impart on somebody who is coming into your establishment? So if I have 20 people walking into my restaurant and they say, Hey, there's 20 of us. I would say next time it would be helpful to call ahead. Yes. Agreed. As an ex- as an example, I guess is that yeah. we only have a fifty person capacity, which is you know it, we usually don't have that worrisome until we have our club release parties or something like that. But um, but yeah, we did have twenty people walk in one time and no heads up, and there was only two of us on a Thursday, you know, half hour before we close, and it was like really. <laughs> I mean, but but okay. it's that being said, tasting rooms are a little bit especially distillery tasting rooms are a little bit new to some people so they don't quite understand the the concept and then they're like what do you mean i can't have another drink again the whole two ounce limit all right where can i get a beer yeah exactly half the time they come in what exactly what kind of beer do you have um not quite what distillery means but um, yeah so so those are um would be helpful for people to 
have an idea, uh, let us again, now that those of you who in, are in Washington didn't know, we do have a two ounce limit. So it's a good thing to check in on ours. Most of us are not open late um, because again, the later you're open, People are expecting a bar when you tell them they can't have another drink. They're not happy. Yeah. Um, and they've already had a couple. And exactly, there. exactly. But that's the the good thing about our establishment is that it's usually um, it's happier people. People that are out, they're checking out new things. We, you know, we usually don't have to worry about so much about over serving just because unless you came in that way to begin with, which right. has happened a couple of times. Every once we get someone on the end of their beer crawl looking for one more shot. <laughs> Only one time, I think, somebody was a complete issue. But um, but yeah, so it's a it's a enjoyable place to be with that we don't have to worry about a lot of that at this point. Yeah. If we get our limitations lifted, then we'll have to reassess all, ready for that in the future all of that. Bar in here, yeah, though, right? exactly. We're so. open Thursday through Sunday, and we're open 1 to 7, uh, Thursday through Saturday, 1 to 6 on Sunday. So those are not times where people are, like, getting into the next layer of drinking for most people that show up in our space. Yeah, yeah. If you do show up like that, when you need to see somebody. Yeah. Right. So, you know, but, you know, Kim's here distilling, like, seven days a week almost or she's here cleaning or paying bills and it's funny how right if you're open thursday through sunday you know somebody there's always somebody that'll come in and say i i'm okay you guys are open man i've been here like three times and you guys are never open you're like i want to exact what, what i want a date when when he, when were you here because we were always here in the doors open even though we we're not serving cocktails and have tons of people in the place um but you know those are probably your folks that are like we were doing a pub crawl and it's 9 p.m on a tuesday well yeah yeah actually yeah we were purposely not here yeah, that's why. There's a reason we weren't open because <laughs> we didn't want the pub crawl to come through. <laughs> yeah, the doors are pretty much always open to you know come and pick up a bottle and maybe even do a quick tasting, even if I'm distilling on most days. But there's uh, yeah, there's certain hours that we have full on staff and we're prepared to you know do the whole. All right, that, that, maybe that would be the moment that I'm. That it took me a while to get to is like we have. Th there is a certain amount of work that goes into having your cocktail uh, arrangement set up, having the rail set up. Right. And like, what do you mean? You, I see two of you here. Can't we do this? Yeah. But yeah, if you, if you seem super motivated that you're here to taste and buy, okay. But if you just want to hang out and have a cocktail, we don't have anything set up. <laughs> we need time to actually make it yeah. you know there's production time too yeah. <laughs> uh before we go too deep if you feel comfortable telling the story what happened with that one guest that came in here i'm guessing already three sheets to the wind. Oh. yeah she's gonna yeah. throw me under the bus here <laughs> <laughs> oh was oh, that no. you <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, maybe we're not thinking of the same person. Oh, uh, this, maybe we're not. Because <laughs> um, I was going to say, I don't think uh, it had too much, you had too much to do with that. But I just remember one early summer when we were open and um, it was busy in here. And one of the 
um, the challenges of just doing a tasting flight is that it doesn't take the person talking to you very much at first. They're asking you questions and you're talking, and so you haven't had a good chance to read them mm. sometimes. So you have to be careful of that. And so you need to make sure you, I mean, but it was like three or four in the afternoon. I wasn't expecting right. it. You're right expecting that somebody to be right. yeah. already trashed yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then uh, and she's like, well, tell me about the flight. One sentence. Okay, that seemed like a coherent sentence. And then uh, set up the flight, and then all of a sudden she starts moving around and put her arms around some of the men at the bar and kind of hitting this on them. the and same I'm like, person. Okay. <laughs> I was one of the men. Oh. <laughs> well, hello. Not that he had that arm around. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so here we are <laughs> and then um i don't even know if she, she got so enamored with like flirting with other men at the bar that I, around the tasting room bar that i don't think that she even finished her stuff luckily before she ended up walking out and then um uh those of you who haven't been at our distillery we have a restaurant next door that has a um, bar area deck area and then there's bridget's bottle shop on the corner so she wandered into bridget's bottle shop um and started causing a little seen in there and they were the ones that called the police so you guys kind of lucked out you yeah we have to deal with her very much no no so that that one was distinctive but luckily we yeah like i said we don't oh, deal with that too often like, dodged a bullet on that one well it's different environment I get to scare people away. It's nice. Somebody's coming in to the whole distillation process and they want to start their own. They have a great idea. They want to start their own vodka or whiskey or something like that. What 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 kind of wisdom would you give to them? We probably both have answers here, so go ahead, Brian. <laughs> okay, so we, we do have, I mean, one of the people that work for us, he's going to open a distillery in Kalama. He drives, he's committed. He lives in Kalama. If you don't know where that is, it's between Chehalis and Vancouver, Washington. It's a long drive. He's a professor at the University of Portland. Really? He is committed to the process. And, you know, he, he knows that he may not end up doing it, but he's most likely going to do this. And we've tried to talk him out of it. And he's still feeling pretty strong so that's good right um but making a great spirit is not going to be the hardest part what is the hardest part the hardest part is going to be selling enough of it to make a living off of it and there's different ways of doing that i alluded to that you can make more and more of one product and try to get it as far and wide and just let the numbers help you and be very efficient. Or you can make a ton of different things and try to have the people here and make, you know, uh, I'm making this up, but it's roughly, let's say we make seven bucks on product here in the tasting room. We sell it ourselves without a distributor and make three, three and a half. And then we go to a distributor and make a buck a bottle and so you guys can imagine like you can go one realm way far over here and make a lot more stuff or go over here and make a lot less stuff but still have a lot of time tied up in the relationships being in the tasting room people don't want to talk 
to a third removed person that doesn't really know the process that well that's scripted you you've been to places you you can observe that and say it's not it's cool it's not as as exciting and uh driving brand as much so those are those are kind of the the two avenues that people end up you know a dichotomy being more one way or the other and so um i guess my advice would be you know are you are you wanting to make a special thing that you're you're more about you're an engineer mind you want to be more efficient or, or are you more into the community aspect and like hey i'm doing this thing where we're evolving we're creative we're connecting and try to make a go of it that way but either way is not easy yeah so the the kind of two things that tie into that is uh time right so you you're i mean just like the rest of the industry you're exhausted it's tons of hours i mean i work every day pretty much i mean we've started this year and since this year of health and mental health and physical health um finally taking some vacation whether we have you know we feed the biz more that month because we just need it we mm-hmm. need to get it away it doesn't matter so yeah. physical mental um i remember in the first couple years getting asked to speak at a snohomish county leadership conference and i show up barely get there producing exhausted and take a break go into the restroom my underwear are inside out how how am i, am I the person that should be speaking to these people seriously it's like i mean these are the it's uh it it did you fix it or did you just go with it <laughs> no like, i just i went with it i'm in a public restroom at that point <laughs> we're already so, on the train yeah. let's just keep riding this yeah. <laughs> so there's the money side of it the time side of it and just know that going in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think i've said that that's awesome that's awesome you guys thank you <laughs> How's that for sharing? That, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's good TV right there. <laughs> Life from the well. Perfect. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so we've had our teachable moments. We had our teachable moments. And then, uh, oh, th- what's next is secrets of the industry. So I like... Uh, recommendations just like something something that that um you've kind of discovered along the way where i think the first one i used was my favorite sweet vermouth just some, something um helpful right that you can just tell like so like say somebody wants to make spirits you know something something where you'd be like oh make sure you use this because i wasted a lot of time using this or whatever potatoes foam like a son of a bitch <laughs> if you make potatoes at home, I boiled. I boiled them. They they foam up good when you when you got them in a pot. If you are trying to make a potato vodka, they foam. And when you're fermenting, you're you could come in the next morning. Your fermenter has turned into the blob. It's like you put dish soap in your washing machine, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a happy moment. We've been fighting with starches. Do you always, do you always take a picture crazy. and then clean it up? Is that... 
yeah, before I cry. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if you're going to make a potato vodka, use a fermenter that's not tall and narrow, as opposed to use a wide and flat so that it lets it get past that phase where it's going to uh, thin the viscosity. It's just crazy viscous. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we've tried anything and everything, and uh, you think you make progress, and then you, the batch, every batch is slightly different, making it from scratch. So, anyways, that's just some Her random third- her third most popular product, I believe, is the potato vodka. And every time that we're making it, she says, I'm not making this again. <laughs> and I mean it, but he won't let me. <laughs> it's, it's the one you hate the most, but it's, it's the, the most popular one. Yep. It's a flavor of love. <laughs> yeah, so potato Which, vodka, if you foam a lot, guess what? That is some of your product that you now don't have to distill the alcohol from. Yeah, so you really lose your yield. Some of the fiber of the potato boiling over the edge. So So be careful with the potato vodka. That's not a great response for you, but it's what we came up with. We'll we'll try to think harder in a second here. Is it true you can pretty much make vodka out of anything? Yeah, I mean, technically anything that ferments, you can make a vodka from. So, I mean, the definition is that it's a neutral clear, odorless. However, they are talking about changing that definition because Mm -hmm. of the little bit of our industry that does show that, I mean, we, ours are not totally, I mean, they're clear, but they're not completely odorless or flavorless because we don't filter. I haven't met a vodka that is odorless. I mean, they they all have some sort of smell. I mean, there's the, I mean, they smell less, I guess, than other things, but I still feel like Vodka doesn't necessarily have a distinct smell, but it is a distinct smell. I mean, you can smell alcohol. You smell and you're like, ah, it's definitely a vodka. So with, our, with ours, we, we chose, we have a filter that came with all this equipment that came from Germany, but we've chosen not to use it because when you do these hand cuts, we call it from the heads, the hearts, the tails, and we only choose the ethanol part and you know, physically change container to container so there's no overlap of any crossover. We always thought we were going to filter. Everybody told you you're going to have to filter, have different types of filters that came with our whole package of stuff, and we've never used any of them um, because we tried the grape base, the potato base, the wheat base. I came, I worked in the wine industry for a couple of years, so I love the comparison of the side by side. And again, just being a nerd about wine for a long time, I love the side by side comparisons sure. and the blind tastings, all that stuff. And so when we tried the different things, we're like, wow this is really clean and really good and has a slight residual flavor differences in viscosity between it was hugely different between the grape and especially the potato and the wheat lies somewhere in between as far as the viscosity where you feel it on your palate where you taste it on your palate um so not only the nose um but that viscosity in the mouth the potato's huge rich creamy mouthfeel if i filtered it i could get rid of that and get rid of that little bit of residual why make it from scratch and go through all this freaking effort to take that all away um so we decided let's not filter these let's just you know add good clean water to it put it in bottle and see what happens and so originally when we opened we had the grape base potato base and wheat base vodkas we had them all in 375s we didn't know which one was going to be the winner and which one was going to step ahead and um 
by that point, I had decided on the wheat, thank God, because of the potato foaming. <laughs> the wheat was the basis for most of the the products. But um, and it, people liked the grape because it was unique, mm-hmm. but you felt it on the sides of your tongue. It was more acidic. I mean, that's what it came from. So it was slightly less user-friendly as far as cocktail making. Mm-hmm. It did well with certain things, but it wasn't as user-friendly as the other two. Um, so when I was done with the huge amount that I made at the beginning from trying to do anything because we had, you know, no... You were able to use all that wine that you yeah, had. Yeah, So that's, that's pretty awesome, too. I mean, just, yeah. to, just, to, just to, I mean, their error was your gain, and then you turned it into something that right. was fun to work with for a while. Right. It so, was a fun lesson for you. So it was a big learning experience, and then everything graduated up to 750s from there. So now we don't make anything in 375s. But. Just do normal size bottles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> typical. Yeah, yeah. Just to jump on, add a little on that. So yeah, yes, you can make a vodka from anything you can distill. So for example, in Hawaii, one of the companies makes a rum from cane sugar, but they make a vodka for cane sugar. It's just how thoroughly you distill it. And as you distill it more thoroughly, you get less flavor. Yeah. It becomes more neutral, but not perfectly neutral, thankfully. And um, so the uh, the other thing, so, so when you're making a beer schnapps, you're taking these products that are failed. We had our neighbor that... Something may have been sabotaged, or maybe it wasn't sabotaged, but they didn't have a good carbonation on their IPA. But when we distilled it, it was lovely. We had another neighbor that they had a peach wit. And that peach wit is an amazing beer, but they just didn't sell through it at the amount that they had produced. Mm-hmm. By the end and, of the season where it was going to sell. Yeah. yeah. So then you're either going to sell it off at, like, you know, really discounted pint night. But then they're hurting their other sales, right? And it was like... Yeah, and we were like, you know what? We we tried two or three different things that they had at the end of the season. It was like this peach wit beer because they fermented the peach puree. That's that's a unique for us. That's a unique way of flavoring something, having the fermentation flavor in. So um, we had a peach wit beer schnapps, which was really great. And. Um, Aged yeah. it in a used bourbon barrel because, again, mm-hmm. it was before we had our own whiskeys, so it almost came off like a peach brandy. Yeah, it was. That sounds really yummy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the wit. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so, last call. Here's your shot. Let's do a last call shot. Cheers. Um, Cheers. Thank you. The thank yous begin now. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for opening your home up to us and letting this in. Mm. I should have poured a smaller one. That's all right. <clears throat> so we've had our drinks. You've shared your stories. Uh, that's we've shared our stories. No, <laughs> it's the best way to do it. We've had our shot, and now it's it's your shot. <laughs> See what I did? Um, to talk about um, to 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 pimp yourselves out. Um, you know, social media handles, upcoming events, uh, you know, what, what do you got going on? Where can people that are listening right now find you online? So scratchdistillery.com is the simple uh, website address. Um, Scratch Spirits for Insta, for Twitter. You can look at places that have our product on one of the pages. 
and check out our stuff if you don't know about us. Look for, you're like, hey, I want to go to this place or this place. I'm not sure which one. Hey, this place has some scratch spirits. Let's go there. Or this place has some scratch, doesn't have scratch spirits, but we're going to ask for it. And then we'll still have a good night after they don't have it. But we'll have done that for Brian and Kim. <laughs> so upcoming events. Um, we have some things that are, um, we alluded to that we have a, we have a, a spirits club. So if anybody wants to, um, learn more about our stuff come up visit us we're happy to share information about it but it's a it's a wonderful group of people that are getting to know each other getting to be good friends of ours um that uh three bottles a quarter you know come up we have special events just for them special releases as brian talked about underground alchemy right they're the first ones the walk of eight december there is a certain number of bottles of a you know new product that first come first serve you get to get the only bottles of that kind of thing so kind of fun um we do some of the you know the the typical big name things Nahomish on the rocks proof washington um come visit us at some of those events um have anything else coming up on our own i think that covers i think that covers it and if you're itching for a drink scratch it Nice. Scratch that itch. Scratch that itch. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of it. You guys can do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. Uh, so that wraps up one more life from the well. That's us. Thank you to, um, first of all, our listeners. They're the best. We love you guys. Um, thank you to Kim and Brian for sharing your stories, sharing your space, uh, sharing your alcohol. These are, these are the things I live for. Uh, it's great. Um, thank you to the Giants, the Den Mother, and Brian with an I. <laughs> um, we're growing. It's awesome. I love it. Um, until next time, cheers, y'all. Uh, be good to each other. Share some love. And uh, if you've had more than two drinks, call an Uber, call a friend. Just don't drink and drive. It's not good for you. Good night. Peace. Thanks for listening to Life from the Well, full of service industry stories and cocktail history. If you like our show and want to know more, check out lifefromthewell.com. Life from the Well would also like to thank our sponsors, Scratch Distillery and Barfly Mixology Gear. Don't forget, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Join us next time for another new cocktail and guest.